Welcome to the Cozy Cozy Podcast. We're here to create comfort along the entrepreneurial journey and really the life journey. Join us for inspiring, dynamic conversations that make the arduous process of venturing out into the unknown feel more doable because we believe in making the impossible possible. We hope you'll join us as we play in the infinite. So pull up a seat, grab a blanket, let's get cozy. Welcome back to the Dare to Move podcast. I am very excited for today's episode. This is one of those kismet connections that you couldn't have tried to find it if you tried, (laughs) Uh, if you wanted to. Um, Basically, for those of you who are new, I have a deep background in spiritual mindset and business coaching. And part of that aspect of my career brought me to host, co-host rather, a retreat in beautiful Ramona, California last October of 2022 called the Full Circle Feminine Retreat. And on that retreat, there was an amazing person named Ariel, and she is the one who connected me to Mallory, who you get to hear from today. So humongous thank you to Ariel. Uh, Mallory Smith is the Senior Manager of Production and Sourcing at Outdoor Voices. Wow, what a big role. This is insane. I'm super pumped to um, have you guys be able to learn from her in the way that I was able to. Selfishly, I I've learned so much from her and I'm so grateful for this episode because of where we find ourselves at Cozy Cozy in space and time, right? We are inventing products. We are doing advanced sourcing wherein we're trying to figure out what materials we can use and what manufacturer is opening to working with us and bringing our vision to life. And there's a lot of hurdles involved with that. You're you're dealing with people in other cultures and other countries. And so what I love about this episode is that she really takes us through the nitty gritty of what is involved. So on a bigger scale at a household name like Outdoor Voices, which is really cool. But one of the biggest things I learned from her today is that they have a pretty lean team and that's also interesting to know it makes it feel like you know you don't have to be nike to get in somewhere and and have success uh so i hope you guys learn as much from her as i did i'm so excited for you guys to also um see just how everything is connected right if you've been listening to this podcast for a while you know that we have a very deep spiritual side to us. Uh, And I have talked about and had breathwork experts on. I know in February of 2021, I had Anna Lilia on and she took us through some breathwork and kind of walked me through or walked us through her session she did with me. And it just so happens that Mallory is super into breathwork and yoga. And she also has new ventures of her own coming out in the future. So Again, it's all connected. There's so many cool synchronicities in this episode, and I know you guys are going to love it. A couple quick things before we get started. I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Thank you for joining us, um, especially as we transition from the Dare to Move podcast to the Cozy Cozy podcast. Uh, Some of you have asked, like, well, wait, are the links still the same? If I search Dare to Move, what will come up? And sometimes Dare to Move will come up, but a lot of what we're finding is just, if you wanna search the expansion contraction episode, just type that in. Um, I've been backlinking a lot of former episodes that I um, have mentioned in the show notes. So um, today we don't have a lot backlinked. I'll link the Anna Lilia one if you're interested in that breath work um, and a couple other um, spiritual business episodes. Um, but you can always find backlinked episodes in our show notes. Um, really exciting things. If you didn't know, I have meditations on Insight Timer. Um, I have an inner child healing, joy activation meditation. I have um, postpartum grief and healing um, meditations, one on activating your money code um, and one on mind-body counseling and soon to be even more meditation. So I've also linked our meditation or my meditation site so you guys can drop in with me over there, especially if you enjoy my voice. So thank you so much in advance for leaving a review there or leaving a review here. Um, Our 
entrepreneurial accountability group is live and I'm so excited and I'm going to keep talking about how amazing it is to sit with all of these entrepreneurs. Um, if you didn't know, uh, my co-founder and I are hosting a group of 14 people who want to carve out time to work on their business and not in their business and to sit with other entrepreneurs to network, to dissect challenges together and especially people who are solopreneurs or startups that don't feel like they have a built-in board quite literally, or a sounding board. So we're creating that for each other. Part of joining the group, which was free for the first quarter of the year, that is now live, um, is office hours as well. So I will personally be hosting office hours, and then we have uh, two sessions per month, and we also have one guest speaker per month. So we will be launching a paid version of this in Q2 of 2023, so stay tuned for more updates on that. We will be launching our Cozy Nips Nip Gloss. I know that sounds so funny to say. I'm not used to it yet. Um, in March, we may be fortunate enough to do a pre-sale at the end of February. So I'm speaking that into existence now in the vein of materialization and manifestation. Um, so I do hope that you guys will check that out. Um, I've put all the links to all the things in the show notes. So again, if you're looking for something or I mentioned something um, in this intro or during the episode, chances are it is all in the show notes. So don't forget to check there and follow us on Instagram at Cozy Cozy Podcast. We're so grateful to be on the journey with you all. And without further ado, pull up a chair, get comfortable. We have Mallory Smith. All right, Mallory, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited we could do this. As I was sharing offline, uh, I have like real-time questions for you, and um, it'll be exciting to uh, have you share your wisdom through some of my uh, personal problems. Um, <laughs> before we get started um, with all of that, I'm asking everyone this season the question, uh, what makes you uncomfortable in life? or uh, sharing an uncomfortable experience that you've had recently just to kind of ground us into who you are and real life and not just, you know, the bio fluffy stuff. Definitely. So right now, what I'm really working on in life is patience. And patience makes me uncomfortable. Mm. I want things done immediately. And so I'm starting to realize I'm starting to learn that everything that's worth having or worth fighting for takes time and takes patience and it's not going to be an overnight success it's not going to change overnight so how do you move forward and have patience so you can really get the most out of a journey or a life or mm. Yes, that is so pertinent. My uh, co-founder keeps telling me good things take time because I am, I think every year my New Year's resolution is patience and I'm still working on it. Um, where does it show up most for you? Is it, um, is it more of a challenge in work and personal life and family? I definitely shows up more in my personal life. I think my job is all about um go 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 and finding solutions and not being patient so um when i am in a patient or <laughs> when i'm in a personal moment it really struggle i really struggle to not just check the box and say okay i did it it's so much more important there's you know so many moments and so many things that you can learn from and i think leading up into this year i was really like okay i just want to check the box I don't want to really enjoy the journey. Just check the box. Hey, I did that. Mm. It's funny because there's probably so many things that by keeping a timeline, like that make you really good at what you do and, and where you've gotten, which we'll talk about today in your career. But that makes a lot of sense because um, we in our personal life, we don't get to like, just run it like a, like a project. Um, unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately. Um, so talk to us a little bit more about who you are before your really cool. And, um, I would say broad, uh, experience in your career. Like who are you outside of work? I am, I am all about 
having deep connections with people and exploring myself, exploring energy work and somatic themes and exploring this world of yoga. That's kind of my passion project. So if I'm not working and I'm not hanging out with friends, I'm really, I'm watching videos on yoga. I'm doing breath work. I am office studio. That is definitely my passion project. Um, and it's what keeps me grounded and sane for my job. Without it, I would probably be a crazy person. <laughs> Beautiful. It's uh, We're all about energy work on this podcast. We've had some energy healers come on. And I love that more and more I meet people that have a connection to that too. And um, I'm curious what got you into it. Like, how did you kind of find the world of yoga and uh, energy work and breath work? Because I can totally see how it grounds you because things can get so heady, especially in your line of work. But how did you find it? What was your entry point? Definitely. So I grew up as a competitive dancer and I tore my hip flexor when I was about 17. And so when I went to college, I didn't really know what to do because I knew I couldn't dance anymore. It was just not sustainable for my body. So I went into yoga at the university gym. I said, oh, I can do this. This is this is like dance. And so really my entry point to it was a workout, um, a substitute for dance. And then as I got into yoga, I realized, oh, I know nothing about this world. And I did a 200 hour training and I finished that. Oh my gosh, I really know nothing about this world. And the thing that has driven me to breath work is how accessible it is for everyone. All you need is yourself and your breath and you need you know, someone to help support you and how to breathe right. But I'm very, very passionate right now about teaching breath work. I'm doing a handful of breath work practices at Outdoor Voices where I work. So I about a month ago, I did a breath work that was teaming us all up for the holiday season. For me, my job is getting everything here before the holiday season. And then my counterparts are like in the trenches for November and December. So I wanted to teach them these one minute, 60 second breath works. If like anything was going crazy in their day, they could just take a moment, mm. take a 60 second reset and just go back to refocusing and de-stress that way. Uh, so it's definitely evolved from a workout of my first entry point into yoga and it's gotten way, way more focused on breath work. That is so cool. I am obsessed with breath work. Um, when I think back to some of the most challenging times, like in my career, or like just like when I think about myself in my 20s as like a stress ball, I picture myself yeah. like breathing up here, you know, that like that feeling of like when you're like up high breathing and your shoulders are all scrunched up for, you know, listeners can't see what I'm doing with my body. Um, and just not really taking a deep breath. Uh, and being in that high state of, of stress. And similarly, I did yoga for years, like being like, well, that wasn't a hard enough workout or like that was a hard one. And um, my joke with um, some of my yogi friends who are formally trained, I am not. I always say it's harder to be or it's easier to become a real estate broker than a yoga instructor because there's like 40 hours versus 200 and more. And I love that you just shared that the further you got into it, you were like, I don't know anything about this because it is such a sacred practice and the way it gets you in your body, but also using different sides of your brain. Like I keep finding out more. So I love that. And I also love the outer voices is incorporating you in that role and allowing you to show up as your whole self. Um, that's phenomenal. How did, did you kind of put yourself out there for that? Or how did that come about? It was a combination of both. So one of the coolest things about working for Outdoor Voices is the company really values movements and endorphin hours and workouts. So a lot of our meetings start with a 10-minute group exercise. When we were in the office, it was, we would have this meeting called All Hands, and there was a girl on our team, and she would start us off with like, Melissa would help type workouts where you're doing a lot of isometric movements and um, just using your own body weight. 
and we would regularly have people come in and do workout classes for us, whether it be a cycle class or hit class, or we'd have a yoga teacher come in. So the people that ran those classes at OV knew that I did that. So I was asked to participate. And now it's kind of like, hey, I want to do that more. Mm. And they're supporting me in that. Well, I think what people realize about it, um, especially for those maybe listening who haven't done breath work, is similar to how your chemistry shifts on a run or in a workout, like breath work shifts your chemistry. It's different because it's like sympathetic, parasympathetic, but um, it's it's a shift and it feels really good. Uh, So I think that's incredible. And I feel like anyone listening should like incorporate this in their corporate experience because, um, I just, I love that. And I was thinking about how we got connected and, um, one of your close friends was on a retreat I co-hosted. And interestingly enough, one of the co-hosts was a breathwork teacher, which, uh, is super cool. So we're kind of also connected through, um, through breathwork and, uh, what I've learned about you and what stood out to me after the first time we spoke offline was, um, that you really have this sense of sovereignty in your career and in your role and what you do and how you exist within this very large organization. And um, especially in the age of the great resignation and um, people quitting for side hustles, there's a lot of like kind of crap out there about working for bigger companies, right? And there's a lot of it that's probably valid, but you represent such a strong embodiment of being in your sovereignty and being holistic health. And this is just, again, from what I gathered from a little bit of talking with you, but I'd love for you to take us through a little bit of your career journey, because I think it's a good story for people to see how you found your way to where you are now. Definitely. So I went to school for fashion merchandising um, and I graduated in 2012. And at that time, I was very, very nervous about finding a job because we were coming off the heels of the recession. So I got this great opportunity to intern in New York City, making $500 a month. Mm. And I said, absolutely sign me up. (laughs) My parents thought it was crazy. I was a little crazy. I sold my car for $3,500. And that's what got me in the door in New York. But I just took the first job that I was offered and the first opportunity to get myself in the door. And that was with a very small menswear company. And I was doing production and I was interning the first day of my job. Our CEO says, hey, the person that you're supposed to mentor under quit. So you have one week to impress me. If you impress me, I'll just give you the job. Like, oh, shit. (laughs) And um, it was just kind of whirlwind after that. I really liked being in this role. Production is very much behind the scenes and is making everything happen. So they're working with the factories, they're working with the mills and they're big on timelines. So my main job is helping to connect all the pieces, helping to connect all the teams and then giving everyone deadlines and helping them get hit those deadlines. So we as a company can launch product on time. So I worked for that company for about a year and a half. I learned a lot. Because it was such a small company, I got to travel a lot. I went to Portugal to visit the factories. thought, this is cool. Um, But after a year and a half, I realized that I really had taught myself all I could teach. And I wanted to learn from someone that I could mentor, who could mentor me, could teach me more. And I went and worked for American Eagle's Airy brand, which is their lingerie brand. And I was there for four years. And that was amazing because I worked with two women that were just fantastic at what they did. And they taught me a lot, a lot about production and just about working in general, about how to be, um, you know, how to move up, how to ask for more, how to fight for more, um, really how to have negotiations with vendors. And I was there for four years, like I said, and, and I felt like there wasn't a lot of forward movement. American Eagle area is such a big company that it's just very hard to get promoted from within. And I wanted to spread my wings and get a little bit more responsibility. So I moved down to Austin, Texas, and I took a job at Outdoor Voices 
and I've been there for around five years. Uh, as I told you offline, I took a little hiatus and worked for Savage X Fenty right before COVID hit and was supposed to move to California and decided, hey, I think I want to stay in Texas. And I was called from my former boss at Outdoor Voices to come back and to lead the production and sourcing team. So it was just such a great opportunity to be able to lead a team and to grow a team. Uh, I had not done that yet at Savage. I came in and was managing a team, but they were all very senior. So this was a great opportunity for me to just come in, manage this team, grow it, and be able to have a lot more agency in the company's decisions from a sourcing perspective, which is very important to me. And very important for the company. I'm like, that's major. I mean, you're looking at the materials, you're looking at who makes them. I mean, you had shared with me, like how they're made. And so I'd love, I want to know about managing a team because you, you read a lot about, um, especially when I'm looking at, oh gosh, I'm going to have to hire, I'm going to have to build teams. Like how some people are really good at their job and they're not good as managers and they're not good. And like, it's not always natural for people to lead teams. So I do want to hear about that. But before we go there, tell us a little bit more about your day-to-day and what you look for and why, um, yeah, like what lights you up about it? Because until I decided I was going to birth a product, I had no idea what went into it. And I actually sat on my idea for over a year because I knew that I had no clue and I didn't want to go through the learning curve of manufacturing, sourcing, advanced sourcing, production, all of it. And I also didn't have the funds to hire someone. And um, a lot of the listeners know this, but I, if there are new listeners, um, I ended up starting this, this new company because I found a company that kind of does that for you, which is amazing. And I'm learning with them Um, and it is so full on. So talk to us about what lights you up about it. Um, and be, before your team management, kind of like what your day-to-day roles and responsibilities are. Yeah. So my biggest, my biggest responsibility is to get the product to the stores on time and to our distribution center on time. So on a weekly and a daily basis, I'm working with the factories on every single PO that they're managing for us and where it is in the process. Do they have materials? Um, Have they cut? Have they sewn? Do they have any any issues? So we have weekly calls with all of our vendors to kind of go through that. I would say that's the biggest chunk of my weekly and daily activities is making sure everything's just on track. And then the other big thing that I'm working on on a daily basis or on a weekly basis is working with our design teams and our technical teams who are sourcing new materials or sourcing new styles and working with them on which factories we want to allocate them to. Um, You know, like each factory has a specialty of what they're best at. We have a vendor that just does cottons for us. We have vendors that very much specialize in like a traditional knit, which would be yoga pants and a yoga bra or, you know, sports bra. And then we have our vendors that specialize in knit wovens. So I'm working with those teams to bring their visions to life. Uh, what lights me up about my job is every single day is different. Mm. I come into a different problem. So it's not repetitive. It doesn't feel, it doesn't get old because I'm learning something new every single day. And the past year and a half, past two years, because of COVID, um, the amount of things that I learned and the, <laughs> the problems that I ran into just were amplified instead of having a major issue maybe once or twice a month it was like every day oh this factory shut down or this mill shut down and really trying to get creative and problem solve with our vendors and with our internal teams on how do we bring product to the customer um but also work with our partners overseas that might be struggling because of COVID restrictions or because of delays due to COVID. So that's my favorite part for sure is how each day is just different. It's so fascinating to like it in and of itself, but then when you add the layer of COVID, like I can't even imagine. Um, 
it's it's crazy. I I I was listening to so for a little background, we did advanced sourcing to basically take our design to China and to India to just they were big in diapers and we're like, okay, well, they do a lot of diapers. They'll give us feedback. And basically both of them were like, yeah, like this is a really novel idea. This is brand new. We've never done this. We're like, yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. And they're like, oh, we'd have to change our machines and that's a half a million dollars. And then, you know, we'll need um, probably at least 2 million in your first product order. And, you know, we're a startup. So we're just like, okay, that's crazy. So I'm thinking that our, like our production sourcing contractor a professional, I'm thinking she's going to be like, and that this is the end of the project. And listening to her kind of talk through like other iterations and how to bring cut and sew into it and how we might need to find a dust-free factory. It's like, I started to see her and and now you as like, you're almost like a surrogate for the pro, like for a, someone else's baby, because you have to ideate with all these other partners and all these other people on how to get it done because both sides have their own uh wants i guess like the manufacturers can do this people designing it can do this and the designers can only take it so far so you're really that that like incubator that like brings it to life it's fascinating yeah like curating the product or behind the scenes putting all the puzzle pieces together yeah it's fun because you get to work with so many different facets of the the company uh, I would say, you know, of most of the roles in the company, my team probably touches the most different departments. And so it's also very fun because you have to learn how to work with very different types of people. Like we work with the creative team. We work with the designers who are very, very creative um, and like to see things certain ways or like mm. you know they want this material or they want it at this timeline and how do you work with them and then translate it to the factory to make sure everyone is looped in and everyone's happy with the finished product um but yeah like how do you learn how do you work with all these different types of people and change your tone or change how you say it to make sure that they get it or they're mm. happy with the end product Wow. What has been the um, like biggest shift in now, like being in this kind of team management role for you? Like, are there any resources or places you've gone to like really become more conscious of like your leadership style or does it come natural to you? Uh, when I was at Savage, they put me in a 10 week management training program, which oh. was fantastic. Wow. So um I think that it should be necessary for any people manager because you learn so many nuances about, oh, like that might not go over well, or I should say things this way, or I should prompt people this way. Um, I think the other thing I'm super passionate about is making sure that I'm a fair and empathetic leader. I think especially some of the men that have been my bosses in the past are not like that. And they get their way by being very mean and very direct. And for me as an employee, that was not beneficial for me. Mm. Now, looking back at it, I can say, oh, I learned a lot, but it wasn't fun in the process. So I think my biggest challenge and what I've learned a lot over the past year is how do you how do you be clear and direct with your direct reports to get them to achieve and to get, you know, get them to grow without doing it in a mean way, especially since that was what I was used to. So I took a lot of like what I hated from my old bosses, but what I loved and how they pushed me and merged that into my own leadership style and definitely still learning a lot, but I think it, all boils down to communication. Mm, absolutely. And it's hard to, um, I don't know how to say this, but it, it takes a while or working with people for a while to shift out of like, we're just going to talk professionally or we're just going to talk as friends. There's like that interesting middle ground space you can kind of get to with like a longer term person that you have worked with. But that like, I don't know how to, it's like, 
company speak versus like, you know, friends speak, but there's this middle ground that I feel like is camaraderie and uh, that's hard to find when there's a hierarchy and there's different roles and responsibilities and there, yeah, I, I can't imagine. Yeah. I think my current boss, uh, he's one of the reasons why I came back to OV. He's great. He's a great mentor. Um, I think that he does a really good job of being like professional and, you know, there as a resource while pushing you, but also is not afraid to get into the trenches and like get the team across the finish line or like help us when we're having, you know, a very hard time or going through something, some blow up. He, he really helps build that camaraderie. And I would say not all the teams at Outdoor Voices are the same. So I'm very thankful for his leadership because he's like, you can have these really, really bad days, but you know, at the end of the day, he's going to have your, your back and going to advocate for you and your team. So like so important to have that. Yeah. That's incredible. I feel like people, especially again with like the cultural zeitgeist of the great resignation and just toxic corporate stuff. Like I don't think enough people fight for and really seek what they are looking for, which could be a really good mentor, which could be a role where there's room to grow and all the things you've kind of demonstrated for us that you've done in your career, because um, and I don't know, I don't know what, what or, or why or how, but it's almost like, well, if you don't like it, yes, you can just quit, but there's also ways to like, get what you are looking for. If you're really creative about it and you're really intentional and, um, and also like as a former life coach, like it's also sometimes hard to know what you want. So I'm also aware of that as I'm saying this, um, but what is something that, because, you know, Outdoor Voices has had tons of press over the years, good, bad, otherwise, just like any company. But um, I actually have only ever been to one store. I, I think there was a store in Aspen once and I shopped in there. It was super fun. Yeah. And I was a part of a startup um, called Move With that was audio fitness. And they gifted us matching sets like back in 2017 or something. Um, I loved it. Uh, but what is something people wouldn't know about Outdoor Voices today? We are a very small but mighty team compared to how much presence we have and how how many stores and kind of the press that we have. The team that's in the background doing a lot of the operational stuff is very small. So my team is three people. I have two production associates and then it's me as leading the team and we report into our COO. So What's really great is if a customer is writing in or like most of the company knows about it, you know, like if there's a big issue or someone's unhappy, like I'm not so, we're not so big that we don't know what's happening in all the other departments. And there is this really great desire with everyone that works at the company to spread our message, which is get the world moving. And Ty, our former CEO and our founder, was very big about that. She wanted to make recreation free for everyone. That's, so if you go into any of our stores, they're always doing free workout events. And they're always partnering with these local instructors, whether they're yoga instructors or you know, workout instructors. So I really love that about the brand. And most of the people that work there are also um, it's one of the reasons why they came is the mission. That is so cool. It sounds like by being lean and being mighty, you guys stay really close to your customer too. And I think that part of why some corporations become toxic or become unhealthy is when there's so many people involved and you kind of get disconnected from the mission or you get disconnected from the end user or the customer, um, and, and disconnected from each other. And so that's really, really cool to hear. And um, as a fitness enthusiast, like I kind of felt like, you know, when I was in more of a corporate uh, role in commercial real estate, um, I used to think, well, what I thought was the only way I could be close to fitness and close to a lifestyle like that would be working for, you know, teaching classes at Barry's, hence why I did it. But um, I love that 
you guys are active as a group and you're doing breath work together and and all of that. It's 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 really neat. And um I'm curious about um any uh uncomfortable situations that you had um as a kid growing up. I've been asking that question a lot because I think, and especially after the the work I've done in my spiritual journey and that I do with my clients, um, that if we're not conscious of it, we end up creating it later in our jobs, right? So some people just bring their inner child to work and it's super messy and there's there's that. Um, so talk to us about maybe something that you have overcome from childhood um, or didn't till later in life that you've experienced. Uh, definitely. So my when I was growing up, I had a speech impediment and I was very shy. So I was teased in elementary school and really because of how I spoke. So one of the main reasons why I wanted to do teacher training was to overcome that fear of public speaking. And that's something I've been working on over the past, really intensively over the past two years. I got a I got um, a speech coach. I was in Costa Rica for six weeks earlier this year and I was working with a speech coach. And he was really working with me on my inner child and the shame that's around your voice and what people say to you about your voice when you're growing up and how you've internalized it. How do you let that go? Um, and then also, how do you be grounded in your body as you're speaking so you can speak with more of your voice, um, bring fullness to your voice? So that, I would say, impacted my my speech impediment probably impacted my career because the nice thing about production is you're kind of in the behind the scenes. You're just doing all the work and you don't necessarily have to do a lot of presentations. I have had to have a lot of difficult, hard conversations. So, but I'm grounded and I like, I know my data to be able to speak to it. Um, but yeah, as I look into the future and I want to get more and more involved in yoga, I want to get more involved in breath work and I want to have more of um, a speaking forward role in my life. And that is what I've been working on overcoming. And it's been uncomfortable and great at the same time. <laughs> wow. I can only imagine it's um, as someone who studied the chakras, like the throat chakra opening is a hard one and everything you're saying about bringing your fullness, it's like not speaking from like your head, but speaking from, you know, being connected, all of your chakras and in alignment and, and all of that. And, um, we talk so much about that here. So I just love that you shared that because people are totally picking up what you're putting down. Um, and it's funny because I was going to ask you like with your travel and your global like footprint in your job, like how has also like, are there any language barriers, barriers that you're coming across on a regular basis? And what is talking and speaking? cross-culturally like definitely that's a great question um so i do have you know most of the people that i work with um and i have strategic partnerships with are english as their second language and so we do have these barriers sometimes with communication and one of my bosses who's my mentor five years ago said, hey, Mallory, every time you write an email, you need to make sure that you're saying what you want or asking the question in three different ways. Mm. Because if you just ask it once and they don't get it, this factory is 12 hours ahead of you. So you've lost two days. Wow. So we, we need to be able to get an answer overnight and they need to, you need to think about all the questions that they might ask for your request and give them background or give them context. So when you wake up in the morning, you have an answer from them and we can speak, speak to the leadership team or the merch team or whatever team needs an update from us. But the, the less clear you are in your emails, you're just like taking a problem and it's a 24 hour problem and extending it to a, mm. a seven day problem. And that's what I work with my team a lot on. How can you be very clear 
or how do you give them the context that they need so they understand the request and they can get back to you? And, you know, um, I would say the other big thing about my job is knowing about the countries that I'm doing business in, like knowing what's going on politically, knowing what's going on economically, um, because it's important. They know, they know that about the United States. So it's my due diligence to know what's going on in the, their world so I can help support them or be empathetic if something goes wrong. And I can translate that to our teams and mm. get them to have that same empathy for the vendors. Wow, that's incredible. The um, the whole asking it in three ways. I'm like, I want everyone to just I feel like that should just be how we communicate in general, because it always makes me laugh when I've said something to a client like for a month or two. And then one day I say it again, but probably in a slightly different way. And they're like, oh my God. And they have this breakdown. Like it's just, and, but I do the same thing. Like I heard this woman on a podcast the other day, say something that hit me. And I was like, oh wait, I should have known that by now with all of like, I was a fundraising thing. And I'm like, oh wait, I'm taking a course on it. Why didn't I get this sooner? But it's just the way you say it, even in the same language speaking country, sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't. So I feel like that should be a rule of thumb for everyone to give, to be more clear and to communicate and ask very clearly for what you want. And I like the whole, um, asking it in three different ways, uh, and the time change thing can be really stressful. So when you were saying all that, I'm like, okay, well, you're managing different projects, dealing with different company or sorry, countries and different cultures. You're on OV's timeline. You're dealing with them. You're dealing with time change. How are you not anxious all the time? Like, what has your experience been like with finding, you know, comfort? That's another question I've been asking all my guests. Like, because I went through years of like hustle culture and grind and like, you know, teaching 5am berries classes Monday through Friday and like more is better. And, um, and then becoming a mom gave me a whole new perspective on discomfort because birth and <laughs> lack of sleep were just effing awful. And so now I'm like, okay, how do we find comfort while doing the hard things? Cause we're always going to do hard things. So like, I love asking people like, how do you carve out, you know, call it self-care, call it comfort, call it mental health, wellness. Like what, aside from yoga and breath work, is there anything else that you do and that you found your way into through all of this craziness that is your job? Like it's a lot. It's a lot. And um, <laughs> I think it's about knowing when to disconnect and when to walk away and take a deep breath. Um, I had a really big wake up call at the beginning of this year. Um, like, you know, like you just said, I'm working crazy hours. So I'm working nine to five with all my OV employees. And then most of the time I have two to three vendor calls at night throughout the week. So I have to really prioritize where I'm taking care of myself and it might be at weird times during the day. But um, backtrack to the beginning of this year, I was so stressed with a lot of things that were going on with COVID and not feeling like I had enough support. And I got so overwhelmed and I was working nonstop that I was not taking care of myself. And I ended up in the emergency room. I was having uh, stroke-like symptoms from stress. Wow. And so I, it happened on a Monday, like the middle of the afternoon, my whole body just started convulsing. And I had this little migraine, um, not bad. Okay, what's going on? So I call my partner and say, hey, I need you to come and take me to the emergency room. Something's terrible. And they bring me in immediately. I'm like shaking just on one side. And <sighs> they give me a CT scan and they find nothing, which is great. But the doctor comes in and says, hey, Mallory, like, I want you to know that I believe what's happening with you. But your body is doing this not because anything is wrong, but because you're so stressed that it's saying, hey, wake up and take care of me. Mm. And I 
remember going back to work the next day and just feeling like I had to be on again. And Mm -hmm. I ended up taking a week off recalibrating and be like, what am I doing? Why am I not taking care of myself? I have yoga, I have breath work, but I'm not doing it. And it was as soon as I gave myself the permission after that wake up call, like, Mm -hmm. hey, you can like take an hour to yourself. Mm. Like turn off your phone and, or you can wake up in the morning and not check your phone until 8.30. A lot of people at OV wake up early and they're just on. That doesn't mean that I need to be on early. Mm -hmm. I was probably, you know, up late on a vendor call. So making sure that I can prioritize those moments where I have free, but like actually do it. So since that happened, I've been very deliberate about having space for breath work. I have it in my calendar. Even if I'm just going to do five minutes of breath work, I put it on my work calendar. I get this alert. Okay. I'm going to do a crazy Kundalini breath work to get me recalibrated. And I'm going to go into my next meeting. Um, wow. definitely I'm like you know it's a work in progress of taking care of yourself well thank you so much for sharing that it's um I've heard of actually something similar for a couple other people and it's just like the body is very vocal when it needs to be and um I am watching myself too because I've I've experienced some chest pains recently And like, because I work from home and because like my life hasn't radically shifted by any means, I had it, it took me a minute to be like, have I checked in with my stress level? Like just because I'm not like fighting Boston traffic anymore or going to a corporate office with people I don't enjoy, or like, it doesn't have to be this big, scary monster. It can literally just be your internal like self not being cared for, like you said. And, um, and breath work and yoga are great tools. And I also love that you put it in your calendar because then it feels, there's also like a weird former hustle culture part of me that like would love checking the box, right? (laughs) As as I was saying earlier, you know, like my biggest um, lesson that I've learned this year is patience. And I used to just be like, I'm going to check the box. So Mm. there is this part of me when I'm doing my five minutes of breath work, I'm being productive. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be like our brains are so wired for like reward that like it it is, you know, hey, if that's what gets you gets you there, it's it always feels better on the other side. And um it's such a I just I love learning about your role because I it's something so new to me and something I'm gonna have to become intimately familiar with. Um, one thing we haven't talked about that I would love to for you to share your your thoughts on. Um, is a little bit more about sourcing and what that process is like. Um, we ha- are looking into things like being biodegradable or being eco-friendly. And then like, what does that even mean? And what are some cool new products coming out that are more natural? But what I'm sort of learning is that everything has a, you know good pros and cons. Um, and then there's also things like now I'm looking at products on the market. I'm like, oh, that's kind of greenwashed because- what does that even mean? So talk to us about like things you've learned about like types of fabrics and, and factories and what you're looking for when it comes to being good for the environment and like what your guys' goals are as far as like sustainability. Uh, definitely. Uh, we work. So I work very closely with my boss on our sourcing strategy. And one of the main things that I'm looking at and we're looking at as a company is fair trade. So we're onboarding some of our factories to be fair trade certified. And so for me, why that's important and it's not necessarily a sustainability thing, it's um, workers' rights and making sure that the factories that we're working with like live good lives and um fair trade has a set of rules and regulations that each factory has to hit to be able to be fair trade certified and so the coolest thing about fair trade is you pay a premium on the product that you're getting from a fair trade factory 
And that premium goes directly to the workers that work for that factory. So it's oh. not the leadership that works for the leadership team's not involved. The owners aren't involved. It is an employee led and run um, bank and they get to decide basically what they want to do with it. So if they want to invest more money on in their lunches or they want to invest more money in childcare, you know, or building a garden at the factory or whatever it may be, they get to vote on it and they get to choose. And it's not the management team saying, Hey, we got this extra money and we're going to give you this. Um, so I really like learning more and more about fair trade that is new to my role and my experience in the past year. So that's been a great learning experience. And then the other thing that I'm looking at when I'm sourcing is I guess, um, where the factories are located. So a lot of the work that I'm doing right now is to diversify us out of certain regions because we're so heavy in those regions. And during COVID, oh. very much realized, oh, that's a bad thing <laughs> because mm. we had parts we we manufacture in Vietnam. So we had parts of Vietnam that were shut down for six months last year. Oh. And even if they have different factories in other parts of the world, their whole capacity and everything um, just got messed up. So I've been working with how do we get closer? How do we get factories and how do we onboard factories um, from Central and South America? and have these factories in Asia and have factories in Europe to make sure that I'm de-risking the business. Mm. And I would have never thought about how important that was until COVID happened. And from a sustainability thing, something I'm passionate about, um, that it's not very talked about, but how do you limit the amount of material or trends or liability that you create when you produce products. So what a lot of people don't know outside of the industry is you have minimums from the trim side, from the fabric side that you have to hit, and then you have minimums on, on the factory side, on the garment side. And sometimes if you hit the garment side minimum, it doesn't hit the fabric mins. So you might create 300 yards of fabric because you have to hit that min that you're either going to try and use for a future season or you're not able to use. Mm. So I like to work with our teams on if you buy this many units instead of this many units, or if you buy this style and this style that share these colors, you're going to eliminate liability or eliminate this wastage of materials and trends. So you know, not a lot of companies talk about that. That's not what's sexy ah. when it comes to marketing, but that's something I I have full control and full um, fluency over of impacting for my business and for any business that I work with. And I think that's almost more important than, hey, let's get this 100% recycled nylon on the market um so i'm doing a lot of those things behind the scenes that maybe the customer's not yeah. ready to or they don't know about but that's what i'm most passionate about that's really really cool um especially because these are pretty big decisions you're making right like you're holding this the, i mean you deciding to do that or not to is impacting our planet and again, customers don't really care about it. If the numbers are still going to make OV money, like it may not be a huge like thing that people are worried about. Like, oh, we're still making, we're still profiting. Um, but it 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 would be hard, I think, if you have empathy and you have like awareness to see that or see someone not having equitable compensation and not want to get involved with that. And um I guess one question just for the listeners, like, can you talk to us about what happens like when they are like wasting, like, where is that going? Are they burning it? Are they just putting it in a landfill? Yeah. So it really depends on the company and how they discard of it and how they work with the, the mills. Um, 
So I've worked with brands that have burned it. I have worked with brands that have donated it. Um, a lot of there are a lot of companies out there that can use old fabric scraps for um, insides of mattresses or for some sort of insulation. So if we do have to get rid of fabrics, I'm trying to go down those avenues. There's also jobbers out there that can buy used fabrics from brands. So that's another avenue that we as a company go down is like, how do, how do we make sure that at least someone can utilize this? Because yeah, like you said, the fashion industry is a big, um, a big polluter. So mm. where the, the fashion industry is the number two um, contributor to landfills every year, which is crazy. That is crazy. And a lot of that is like fast fashion product where mm -hmm. these brands are just trying to get you to buy products that don't last. And so as a consumer, we can be much better about supporting brands that like want to make very high quality products that are built to last for, you know, more than one season. So I know we always want to get like the latest, greatest dress or mm -hmm. shirt and I very much try to limit myself from that because the fashion industry is not the greatest when it comes to the planet. Yeah, I mean you would know too based on what you studied and how long you've been in it. It's it's probably very hard to look the other way. Um as someone who has love shopping has way too many clothes. This is actually I think my fourth month of doing newly and rent the runway because I, I like always was like, Oh, it exists. But like, I just didn't have any interest. And then I accidentally subscribed to a month of like, not just like renting a dress for an event. I was like, okay, whatever, I'll try it. And I love it. Uh, especially as someone that I like to like take a picture in my clothes or wear it once. And I'm also trying to conceive. So you don't, I'm like, I don't want to buy something that I might not fit in for 10 months. Like, so there's that element, um, which makes, and then I love fitness. So I feel like I can invest in, you know, workout stuff, which is fun for me. Um, and I, um, I'm wondering like, so I'm so, this is a question I've actually still don't know the answer to because I didn't have to find the answer, but if someone listening right now has an idea for a product or, uh, they want to start their own, I don't know, their own fashion company. Um, what would be like from a production standpoint, like the first thing that they would need to do if they were going to do it on their own? Like uh, in my experience, I'm working with a company out of Austin where you're located um, called Gemba and they have designers and then the designers uh, connect us with a soft goods manager who works with manufacturing and advanced sourcing and sourcing and all of that. So it's sort of like all contracted people helping me and I'm learning with them and from them, but I'm not, I'm not doing it myself. So like, is it possible? Could someone start going about this process and what advice would you have for them? They can, it would make it much harder. Hmm. Um, a lot of factories and well, a lot of factories, you need to have a connection to get into them. Okay. So when you're working if people are asking you to come for work for you work for them and you've been in that production industry for a while it's because they want your contacts like you're going to bring other good things but they uh -huh. really want your contacts and so i would say it's like that upfront investment of finding a factory and figuring out their mins and having to order into that and knowing that it might not be sustainable for your business at first or like how do you find a factory that will work with you for your first couple of orders mm. as you're growing uh, and you said you know earlier in the podcast that you're working with these vendors that have really high mins or they're saying oh we've never done this before it's like how do you work with them to say hey this is my planned order for year one but this is my projections for the next five years or like let me buy get them to buy into the product and buy into the brand and 
then they're much more willing to say, okay, we'll waive that, that surcharge or we'll mm. lower the minimum for you because we believe in the product. Mm. So that would be my advice. Like, how do you bring them in to get excited about the product and want them to want to work with you? Um, when I say like you need contacts, there are also people out there that you can reach out to and they'll work with you for sure. It's just, I'd say the hardest part of navigating new factories is how do you get that first connection? Yeah, I feel like I have skipped some steps and I don't take that for granted. And I hope it doesn't come back to haunt me because I have, <laughs> you know, my own personal Mallory within Gemba. Um, and I'm learning a lot from them, but it is really, really daunting. And I don't know if this is true, but this is something they shared and, and maybe it was just, I don't know what specific industry it was in. Uh, they may have shared it and I don't remember, but they were saying that it's actually more expensive usually to produce in the U S. So talk to us about that because I think most people would, um, unless they, for some reason, had their sights set on a certain country because of a certain material, maybe, um, or what the, the country is known for, um, I would have thought, oh, like, let's do it in the U.S. Like, why not? I don't have to worry about COVID issues or, or well, there's still some, but um, like ship shipping or import like duties and, and things like that. So talk to us about U.S. versus abroad. Definitely. Um, so this is something that my partner brings up to me a lot. Just produce it in the States. Why is it so hard? And a lot, um, my first response is always the cost. Just because the cost of living in the United States is much higher than a lot of these other countries. So you're paying for a lot. Or you're being charged a lot more for labor. So okay. it makes it much harder for it to be profitable for you. But to your point, you're not paying to ship the product overseas and you're not paying to import it so we do as a company work with some manufacturers domestically we do a lot of socks and a lot of naturals you can do a lot of naturals out of the united states pretty affordably um so we do have those partnerships domestically but the other thing is the machinery a lot of the machinery to make um out outdoor voices, we do a lot of bonding on our product and bonding is basically instead of having um, stitch, like a stitch with thread, you're bonding the fabric together with glue and that machinery heats up to a specific temperature and mm. it's on the product for say 30 seconds based on the material composition. And those machineries are machineries are, are very expensive they're like tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars so it's a big investment to get a lot of those machineries and to get set up as a factory and because we outsourced everything in the 50s and the 60s overseas mm -hmm. now all of those factories have these super high-end super expensive machines that the United States just doesn't really want to invest in. So that's another reason why it's more expensive because they would have to like put up a lot of capital to really get it to the same level as some of these factories abroad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for all that. It's, I have, oh, you know, for four, over four years now on this podcast, I love just sharing about my journey, sharing what I'm learning and you're um, articulating a lot of what I've learned and and also educating me um, so far in this journey. And it's just stuff you don't know until you're on the journey. And I think a lot of people don't take the first step. We talk a lot about entrepreneurship on this podcast. There are a lot of solopreneurs listening right now. Um, it's hard to um, sometimes even know what step to take or even envision yourself doing the thing you might want to do because of stuff like this. And so I'm just really grateful that you could come on and shed light on some of these things because they're things I'm sort of bumping into and you have such a wealth of knowledge on them. Um, and again, like 
nothing's impossible. It's just like everything you said, like doing your research, knowing how expensive it's going to be. And um, when there's a will, there's a way. So um, that's been really cool to to learn from you. Um, My last big question for you um, is what are you excited about for 2023? Since they'll be hearing this um, in the beginning of the year. I am excited. I'm working on a couple personal um, personal things from a business aspect with some friends. So I'm excited to dive into that and learn more about a brand new industry and do something of my own um, that I, so I'm very, very excited about that. And I would say I'm also very excited about a lot of these partnerships that Outdoor Voices is working on that's being worked on behind the scenes now. Uh, It's just going to be very, very excited to see that come to life and see how that accelerates or grows excitement for the brand. So um, I have a couple of things that I'm working on behind the scenes there, but definitely like personal, going after some personal goals and not ready to talk about it it's still like an incubator stage but really excited to do my to focus on some stuff that's that are my passions beautiful well you've got a lot of cool stuff going on and um i hope that people will connect with you like where would you like to be found is it linkedin tiktok instagram where can people find you we'll put it in the show notes but i always like for people to hear it definitely people can connect with me on instagram my handle is wow it's Mal and I'm also on LinkedIn. Cool. I will put those in there and thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and also just being supportive to me. Um, and thanks to Ariel for setting this up and connecting us. Yeah. I'm so glad you connected us and I'm really excited to see all the progress that you're making on your journey and your product. Uh, Very exciting. Thank you.